welcome everybody to All About Windows Phone Insight, podcast number 66, recording this on Friday the 14th of June 2013. I am Steve Litchfield again, it's me again. Hopefully we'll have you and back sometime soon. With me, of course, Mr. Rafe Blandford. Yeah, that's right. Thank you, Steve. Uh, Ewan's still having some microphone problems, but I'm rather pleased to have Steve uh, for this particular podcast because I think he's going to have a good excuse to mention Symbian lots of times. There's one particular news <laughs> item that makes me think that, and actually there's some imaging stuff, and as regular readers and listeners of the podcast will uh, know, Steve uh, has something of a soft spot for camera phones. Is that a fair comment, Steve? Absolutely, and I, and I absolutely love putting them all to the test. And what, what most uh, reviewers would say, oh, no, the chore of taking five different sh- photos of the same item and then going back and then comparing them in pixel by pixel detail, they find that an outright chore, and I love it. I absolutely love it. So maybe I can make a living out of doing that. Nothing to do with the fact you tend to go and take pictures of steam trains and old aeroplanes, <laughs> is it, Steve? Uh, and guinea pigs and, yes, and uh, churches and other interesting items, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I gather you're referring principally to the Nokia glance screens. We might as well start there. You have the Lumia 925 in your hands, which was given to you, I believe, on Monday for review. And so well, I guess you've had, what, uh, or Tuesday, you've had three days now to play with it. So uh, before we go into glance screen and some of the specifics that you've been writing about, what's your overall impression after, what, 72 hours with the Lumia 925? Good question, Steve. Tricky question as well. You know, you've only had limited time with the device and I'm a big believer in, you know, using it properly, using it in the real world for a bit before doing a full review. Uh, but there are some you know, things that make it a bit easier with the 925 because in a lot of ways, it's the kind of the mid-cycle update to the 920. And so it's really talking about the design changes, a little bit of hardware, and then there's some quite actually big software changes as well. The first thing I can say about it is it's the best Windows Phone 8 device you can buy at the moment, and it has just gone on sale. You can get it in the UK, Germany, Australia, New Zealand, and a few other markets. The US and China will be getting it in the next week or so. It actually reminds me an awful lot of the Nokia N8, which was a Symbian device. And I would say you know, that was, in some ways, Nokia's best smartphone. I thought the 800 was a good device, but it was you know, it felt rushed. The 920 built on that, but there were still a few flaws with it. Now, having the 95 in my hand, it feels like, you know, Nokia is a real return to form. You know, they've really hit the design out of the park with this one. And that's principally because it's thinner and lighter than the 920. Now, I've said many times it wasn't a problem for me personally with the Lumia 920, but you just need to look around the web and other people's comments. You know, they said the 920 was a, a heavy device and a bit on the bulky side. That really goes away with the Lumia 925. And in addition to that, there's actually some quite nice updates. You know, the camera is slightly better particularly thanks to some software processing and i'm also quite taken with the design of the lumia 95 it's a departure from the polycarbonate shells we've had before for example yeah how's the build quality i was a bit concerned when i saw the launch video and the launch photos of the 925 the 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 sheer amount of layers they pack in from the display and the the metal frame and then the the innards and then there's the the composite backplane and it seems to me that there are more bits to work loose more bits to start to rattle and flex and creak compared to the 920 which is basically all one lump of polycarbonate So, so what's your verdict there Again, you know, early days, and there is always this you know, question, it's not a unibody design, is it, is it going to feel worse? I can't really tell the difference between this and the 920 in terms of the solidity and the build quality. There's no, no flex for it. If you press the polycarbonate very hard, it does go in slightly. Uh, so in that sense, I think you know, they've thinned down some of the polycarbonate material compared to the 920, but the metal frame gives it 
a real feel of uh, solidity around the outside. And actually, I think it feels more comfortable in the hand because it, it's just got that slightly slimmer uh, you know, feel to it. That's partly shiny new toy syndrome. You know, whenever you get a new device, it always looks better than the old one. But I think this is a, a feeling that will last. Um, the one thing I will say is if you look on the back plate, there is, as you say, this polycarbonate plate, and there are some visible gaps around the edges. Uh, that's partly so that when you're servicing the device, or rather when Nokia is servicing the device, it's not a user-replaceable battery, or you're not meant to go into the device yourself. They can actually get into the back of it, because there aren't any screws on the outside of the device. I do wonder whether over, you know, months of usage, you might, you know, sort of build up some um, dirt in those those kind of, it's almost a, a, a kind of a crack around the edge of the device. It's not sort of completely flush as you sometimes associate with these devices. Um, but that's being very picky about the design. Uh, maybe something that's worth revisiting in a, you know, a few weeks when I've had a chance to use and it's been sitting in my pocket and had a chance to collect uh, bits and pieces around the outside. I'll put some photos up on the site to actually illustrate this, but I mean, I'm talking about a very thin gap. It's, you know, yeah, you know, it's significantly less than a millimetre, and you actually have to look quite closely to see it. Um, that's the only kind of query I've got about the design so far. Um, I did wonder whether this metal frame would have problems with uh, reception. Yes, if you cover up absolutely everything, you, like any other phone, you can get the signal to drop. But uh, having used it for a few calls now, if you're holding the device, you won't get any reception problems. And actually, that's because Nokia's put in a, a self-tuning aerial. And so it will optimise the aerials around the outside, uh, depending on how you're holding the device. Yeah, yeah. And now, you mentioned the the glance screen. This is a Nokia system harking back, I guess, to the Symbian days with the AMOLED screen Symbian devices and also the Amigo powered N9, whereby the AMOLED uh, pixels glowed for themselves, glowed, giving you the time, and on Symbian's case, date and also some fancy pictures. But uh, I gather we've got a primitive version of that up and working using the, um, the Lumia Amber software update on the 925. So do you think we'll ever, ever get to the stage where it gives date and uh, notifications and pictures as well? I would have thought that would be on the roadmap for the future. I mean, this is just, as you say, the first implementation. And just to kind of clarify that software story, what you've got here with the Lumia 925, it's running Windows Phone 8 GDR2, which is general um, distribution release 2. That's essentially the second kind of minor software update to Windows Phone 8. We had the first one earlier this year. And then on top of that is running a bunch of Nokia software customizations, and that's collectively referred to as the Lumia Amber update. Now, both of those updates will be coming to all the existing Nokia Windows Phone 8 devices. Obviously, the non-Nokia devices don't get the Amber update. And one of those features is this Nokia glance screen, which is a, an always-on clock, essentially. As you say, it's got some history, some previous form on earlier Nokia devices. It's not as good in terms of the implementation, which is a shame. I mean, one of the big things I've noticed is there's no notification for uh, new messages or missed calls. And so you still have to kind of pick up the device and unlock it if you want to see those. But it's a real boon being able to just take your phone out of your pocket and you know see the time straight away. I, like many people, I stop wearing a, a wristwatch because I have a phone with me all the time. And it's really good in that situation. I also like the fact that it's got a night mode um, so normally this clock displays in white, but through set hours, you can have it in night mode where it'll display red. That means it won't kind of keep you up at night with kind of this vibrant yeah. light shining. Now, the interesting thing is the looks like this software update will come to all the devices. So you will have the option to switch it on for devices which have the LCD screens. That's still to be confirmed, but I think that's how it's going to work. Um, but as you say, this really only works 
fully on an AMOLED screen because of the way the sort of different power consumption works. On the LCD screens, you've got the backlight on all the time, which basically means you'll draw a lot of power. But there is an option to have this uh, glance screen on for just 15 minutes. So I wonder whether that would be good enough on the LCD screens and maybe they can opt to turn off the backlight. I mean, that's what they did on some of the very early Symbian devices on the screensaver mode. So that'll be uh, worth watching out for. While we're talking about the screen, I guess I should also mention there's a double tap to wake up. And as I recall, Steve, this uh, first appeared on the N9, which was the Mego device. And it's kind of a nice extra. Rather than having to press the lock key on the side of the device, you can just double tap the glass on the front of the device and the, it will wake up. You still have to then swipe up to go through the lock screen and, if necessary, put in a, a security code. But, it, you know, it, it's an example of a nice extra. And the one that yep. I think most people will, you know, kind of ignore, but it's actually quite a significant one, in my opinion, is colour profiles and being able to, you know, change the warmth and the vibrancy of the screen. It's kind of like the way you adjust your desktop monitor or TV, the colour saturation and the temperature. Um, so, you know, Steve, I know, for example, you're a big fan of AMOLED screens, but some people find them a bit too over-vibrant, you know, the colour accuracy isn't quite there, and so they can turn these settings down and it'll end up looking more like an lcd screen so that kind of user choice is always a good thing it kind of depends what you get used to the thing is you can take any particular color temperature any part unless it's really really garish and you basically get used to it for example just to turning the brightness down on on a typical moled screen um, it really solves the problem to a large degree i've got my running my galaxy nexus uh, 4.65 super moled screen and it's really quite bright and garish at full brightness. But I run it on auto brightness, which is something like 20% power. And you think at first, oh, this is, this is really dim and dingy. I can't live with this. But after a few hours, you get used to it. And then you get the huge power saving. I think it's the same probably with color temperature. You can, you can fiddle around with it. But if you just live with it, unless it's actually badly wrong, you basically get used to it within a few hours, and it's only by comparing with another device, which is set up differently, that you think, oh, yes, the colours are different. And then, even then you've got to be looking at exactly the same co the content. Yeah, I think that's a, a fair point. I should say these changes are relatively subtle. On the other hand, you know, you do get people saying, oh, it, it's too warm, it's too cold. So I think this is kind of a Goldilocks feature um, that you can set it just right for your personal point of view. And, you know, we know people, you know, have their screen set to full brightness because they don't care about the power consumption. And I, I suspect the sort of similar thinking will apply here. You know, I want it to have as vibrant as possible because honestly, you know, when you've got a, a screen set to maximum vibrancy, it does sort of show off photos better, but it can be a little bit too garish when you're looking in apps or something like that. Uh, I don't really think this is something people are going to go and change every day. They'll set it to what they want. But, you know, you do get people saying, oh, it's, tinted one particular color or the other i think this will be one way of kind of getting around that um, not not a big deal i guess but um i'm always in favor of, especially when you can put these settings away without sort of making it something that users will trip over it's tucked you know quite carefully away in the touch and display settings module so nice extra to have but that's an example of one of the nokia customizations there are quite a few other updates i think the ones that people care about things like the return of the fm radio it's a nice extra to have back in again it's also you can pin music more easily uh, when you're listening to, to it in the music and video hub in that application uh, some of the nokia specific stuff is really all about the camera um, there's this nokia smart camera which we've talked about in the podcast before on enhanced burst mode but i think probably the biggest single software update here is you know improvements to the image processing algorithms on the camera 
And although technically there is a slightly different camera module in the Lumia 925, it's got an extra lens element. I think it's really all about the software here. And it, it's early days. I need to go out and do some sort of more direct comparisons, but it does seem to go a long way to improving that kind of soft blur effect you got on some of the earlier Lumia devices. But watch this space because we're going to talk more about that in yeah. the podcast. And I know Steve is intending to test that as well. Yeah. Now, tell me, Rafe. Now, one of the reasons why the Lumia a device has got a reputation for producing soft focus effects, especially the 920, was that you take a really high-resolution 8-megapixel shot and you'd splay in in the Photos application and it would look all grainy and low-resolution. You think, well, this is just rubbish. And we've since realized, we've raised this point on the podcast, is actually Microsoft crippling the Photos application to work on presumably lower-performance devices. So you're actually zooming into a preview, not into the actual JPEG. Have they fixed this for the uh, this amber level um, software update? No, they haven't. It remains the same as it was before. Um, we've had a couple of people talking about this. You know, is it because of memory? I'm not really sure because I don't think I can see a justification for all this on the high spec devices. On the lower spec devices, you can probably make an argument that RAM is at a premium, and so you don't want to do it. And it's also about being being speedy. Um, as you say, there are third party apps that kind of allow you to get around this, but kind of a bit disappointed and i think you know on a device that you know does have an imaging focus i mean this is a, a pure view branded device i would like to see an improvement in that particular department uh, to be fair i don't spend a lot of time zooming into photos and you know when i do that I tend to take them off the phone and then look at them on a pc and you know they look gorgeous um when you're you know, looking at them at kind of zoomed out but it is it is one of those annoying niggles that you wish they'd fix yeah yeah, and of course, with this rumoured Nokia EOS, the uh, uh, the legendary taking the 41 megapixel sensor out of the Nokia 808 from the Symbian world and putting it into a Windows phone chassis. Now we've seen the the leaked photos, and we put it up under, with an unconfirmed flag on on the site. Um, but I, I guess if they've got something of that order, then they really, really have to fix the photos application so you can actually appreciate the photos you're taking. I mean, a, a 41 megapixel sensor, the 808 manages to zoom into a 38 megapixel photo with no delay whatsoever, and that's a Symbian phone from uh, 18 months ago. So now we've got a late 2013 um, system running exactly the same hardware, more, more or less, and it's got to have the, the, the Windows Phone uh, Photos client to match it, surely. Uh, I'd have thought so. I mean, I will say that the 808 does actually have an imaging co-processing chip in it, so it has extra hardware that allows it to have that particularly impressive performance. I mean, dealing with those 36 megapixel or even 38 megapixel JPEG images does require quite a, a bit of power. Uh, but I assume, you know, if Nokia produces that kind of technology on a Windows phone device, you know, they're going to have to do something similar. Um, yeah. You know, I guess this is one of those things that it's a bit of a niggle. I'm not sure most people are going to notice it. And, and to be fair, you know, we went through a long time of not really noticing it ourselves. And if you look on the web, few people have noticed it before, but it hasn't seemed to have raised a kind of a torrent of complaints, unlike things like the, you know, updates from 7.5 to 7.8 being delayed. Um, you mentioned this uh, new device. Perhaps this would be a good time to talk about, uh, an event that Nokia have coming out. We've now got an invitation for this, and it, Nokia's kind of given it a tagline of Zoom reinvented. It's <laughs> on July the 11th in New York. Do you think this is going to be about EOS or uh, about a device that has this kind of pure view stage one technology in it, Steve? 
Yeah, I think it's all coming together. I think it's. I, I suspect it'll be identical camera hardware in terms of the optics and the sensor to the Nokia A two eight. Obviously, there will be some changes in terms of the coprocessor, some changes in terms of the software drivers to work with Windows Phone. But uh, Nokia did say when they launched the A two eight that it, it basically they had to launch with Symbian because the Windows Phone wasn't ready at that time. Presumably, the time will be ready. And as you say, uh, next month we have an invitation to a, a, a launch event in in New York. And uh, the unconfirmed uh, leaked photos do tend to suggest um, it's going to have the Xenon flash, the same large sensor, a slight camera bulge of, of the order of the, the similar to that on the 808. Um, not really expecting any huge surprises there. But then again, people could argue that the, the 808 PureView's hardware, the camera tech, was years ahead of its time. So when the, if Nokia released this in, in July 2013, it, it's not a year late. It's still probably a year or so ahead of the rest of the pack, I'd say. I'd say possibly even more than a year. I mean, we've seen uh, Samsung come out with what appear to be imaging kind of flagship devices, but a closer look at the specifications makes you realise they're actually rather disappointing, talking about the Galaxy uh, S4 Zoom there. Um, yeah. And there are other manufacturers who've done the same thing. I mean, Perhaps for the benefit of our Windows Phone listeners who are not familiar with the 808 PureView, we should just uh, talk about the kind of the uh, two or three things that really make uh, the 808 stand. Can I do it? Can I do it, please, sir? Can I? Can oh, I do it? I'll go on then, Steve. So maybe talk <laughs> about the Zoom to start with. Why? Why is that important? I mean, why would it be Zoom reinvented? Right. The the traditional method of zooming on a camera uh, with a think of a standalone camera is you have optics, you have physical lenses, um, combinations of lenses, lenses which move in and out. And they, they mess around with the focal length and let you, um, they re- reduce the field of view, um, but then spread the light out so that across the set whole sensor, so you effectively do literally zoom in. Now, obviously, with a smartphone camera, you've got limited space. You can't actually do that. Traditionally, most smartphone cameras, they have digital zoom, whereby they just crop in further and further on the sensor. So using a smaller and smaller area of the sensor, and then they blow that up in software. So they basically interpolate between the pixels and everything gets a bit blocky and horrible. Um, now, with the Nokia 808 and this pure view phase one from Nokia, they, had, they thought, well, hang on a minute. If, if we have a really, really humongous sensor and enough pixels, we can actually, okay, we'll do this interpolating, this, this oversampling, this messing around with the pixels and software, but we'll have so much raw information to start off with that we can kind of zoom in by up as much as, much as three times completely lost the sleekers at three times zoom on the Nokia 808 and presumably on this new Nokia EOS with the 41 megapixel sensor at three times zoom um, you're still looking at one-to-one pixels in terms of the sensor and the output uh, output image which means that effectively there is no loss okay you don't get the you know the pure view oversampling and the, the complete absence of noise but it's still far far better than traditional digital zoom approaches um, so I, I guess that's the that's why I say Zoom reinvented. They have literally reinvented how cameras um, let you zoom in, and it is okay. okay it's maybe limited to three times rather than what the ten times you could get with an optical zoom. But then there are disadvantages to an optical zoom system. As Samsung will find, people will try zooming in uh, using a, a ten times optical zoom, and uh, they'll they'll find they get a lot less light let in because they, you have to literally restrict the aperture and restrict that the optics are so restrictive you get um it's not 10 times less light but it's a lot less light whereas with nokia's system and the pure view phase one I and mean, all the light is available all the time yeah and the other thing is you don't get things like the barrel distortion effects now uh, another way of explaining this is that effectively you're just using a smaller portion of the sensor to take a, a zoomed photo and so i've sort of in the past said it's a bit like using an ordinary camera phone 
and then just using the kind of the center of the image um, and you get kind of a similar quality it's probably worth saying the quality of the zoomed in photos doesn't quite match ma match the pure view um, or the perfect pixel as Nokia talk about it on the big images but that's actually kind of the second secret really of this uh, pure view yeah. stage one isn't it Steve because when you're using you know the 34 megapixels or sorry 38 megapixels depending on the aspect ratio actually you're not producing 38 megapixel images most of the time or at least you choose not to yeah yeah absolutely and i would say that i, I on my nokia 808 again <laughs> mentioning symbian again i've probably taken i think it's something like three and a half thousand images over the last year which is quite a lot and uh, despite the sense of producing you say 34 38 megapixels um, if I wanted to, if I chose to in creative mode, I would say that 99.5% of all those photos have been taken in the default 5 megapixel mode and occasionally going up to the 8 megapixel mode, which is also included. And I'm assuming that the same will be true on the, this, this new Nokia EOS. The, the, the default in this case will probably be 8 megapixels, but you're still getting about 5 or 6 times to 1 oversampling, by which I mean that every pixel in the output 8 megapixel image, every single pixel is, is actually combining information from the surrounding 5 or 6 physical pixels which means that you can average out the noise and get rid of the noise and you can um, average out minor inconsistencies and aberrations and you, and yeah, you essentially get a very pure image. And I'm expecting this to live up to the 808, really. Yeah, that's right. One of the interesting things, it doesn't get talked about much with the 808, but the element I kind of find interesting about this, you know, combining six or seven pixels into one is you get very accurate kind of definitions um, on edges and between different types of colors you know traditionally in smartphone cameras there's quite a lot of edge enhancement going on but actually in these pure view images you get much less of that because this sort of averaging out results in kind of much sharper or, or more true to life lines and that's something that's always caught my eye so you know it's able to capture a level of detail that you just don't get from other camera phones i mean there's a reason the 808 sits in a class of its own uh, you know the the hardware involved is completely different to anything else you have. And so this is why we're kind of so excited to see this on a Windows phone device because, you know, it will be right up there with the 808 as kind of the best camera phone that you can buy. And, you know, the 808, uh, rightly or wrongly, came in for a lot of criticism for running Symbian. You know, people sort of said, I'm buying it despite the fact it's running Symbian, um, where this time around, obviously, Windows fine. I think it's fair to say is a more modern smartphone platform. Uh, and so I suspect it will have broader appeal. We have mentioned briefly, Steve, there, the kind of the 38 megapixel and the 34 megapixel images in creative mode. That's kind of the, the one last thing we should probably talk about with this camera, isn't it? Um, well, yes, I'm assuming they'll have a, a revamped camera interface that will actually let you play with these these higher resolution modes if you want to and also play with all the wonderful things you can do in terms of neutral density filters and iso and exposure um color balance all of these things which the standard windows phone camera app doesn't necessarily let you do at the moment yeah, as i understand it we'll probably see something like a nokia pro camera in fact on the lumia 925 we've got the so-called smart camera the enhanced burst mode i suspect we'll see something very similar on uh, this new device and it's no accident that windows phone 8 gdr2 actually allows you to set an alternative camera app as the default and i'm sure this will be <laughs> more important on this upcoming device than it will be on the lumia 925 because honestly i can't see why most people would uh, switch the nokia smart camera to be their their default all those extra settings allow you to do a lot more i mean uh, sometimes the 808 gets talked about as being dslr like personally i think that's inaccurate 
it's like a very high-end point-and-shoot camera. And there's no doubt it's better than a lot of standalone point-and-shoot cameras, but you do get these extra settings that you can play with, and so it's possible to produce some quite stunning-looking photography that is, you know, away from the kind of the fully automatic modes by fiddling about with, you know, exposure and then going on to the next level on from that with all the settings. So it'd be very exciting to hear more about that. Um, but we should hear more in July. We are making some pretty big assumptions here in the podcast that this is what it's about. But uh, <laughs> given the leaks that have gone on and the Zoom reinvented tagline, uh, yeah. I think it's a, a pretty safe bet that we will be seeing, you know, PureView stage one on a Windows Phone 8 device. They have had, you know, 16 months. So I do want to see whether we'll see some additional innovation that they've managed to think about in the meantime, because they certainly work hard in those SPU labs um, and Tampere labs on this imaging stuff. So it'll be uh, interesting to see what else gets revealed because I suspect Nokia may have a few secrets up their sleeve to talk about in New York next month. Yeah, we shall see. If you remember, I mean, you don't need to reply to this, but the very original vision of Nokia's engineers for the, um, the pure view phase one was that they wanted to do Zoom in a different way. And there was this famous sketch on the back of a napkin. And so seeing Zoom reinvented as the tagline for an event, and there's absolutely no doubt whatsoever what the event is about. But we, sh we should move on, Ray. We've got just a couple of other items we want to put in before the end of the podcast. Um, Copilot GPS. Uh, a really high-profile mainstream mapping and navigation solution now available for Windows Phone 8. And I have to say, Rafe, given that 90, what is it, 90% of Windows Phone 8 devices are made by Nokia, who ship a perfectly good uh, mapping and navigation solution for free, why would anyone pay whatever is that, uh, 15, 20 pounds a, a year? For, for Copilot GPS? Well, the easy way to answer this question is say, why would anyone buy the Lumia 920 or the 925 when the Lumia 620 does almost everything it does uh, at half the price or even more than half good the question. price? Good question. <laughs> so, so, well, quite, that is a good question, but people clearly do. I mean, the way I talk about this is that Copilot is kind of a more professional solution. It, it has additional features. Uh, for example, talking about when you're putting in a destination uh, Nokia Drive or Here Drive, I guess we should be calling it, uh, is relatively limited. In Copilot, you can put in uh, multiple stops, so you can go to more than one place, and it'll actually work out which is the best order in which to do them. You can put in coordinates, you can put it from the address book, you can pull it in even from a photo, and several other methods. And so it's much more powerful in that respect. Also, some of the ways it uses the Nokia map data because it's actually using the same map data as uh, here drive from Navtech or now the Nokia uh, company but it puts it through its own processing so for example it produces these road signs and these lane markings you know, it is a matter of you know personal preference which you prefer but I think there's a lot of people out there who have used Copilot before and will regard it as having you know kind of refined its user interface and its experience over many years to be ideal for the regular driver and this is one important note you should should realize that this is not an app that looks like a Windows Phone app. It's not a kind of the modern UI style. It's very much Copilot's own style. And they do the same thing on Android and iOS yeah. where this app is also available. And it, that will upset, I think, some purists. But I feel that navigation is one of those areas where this complete takeover of the UI is acceptable. It does mean it's a bit jarring at first, and there are a few quirks. But at the same time, once you start using it, there are plenty of aha moments when you realize, oh, that's a neat way of doing something, which, strictly speaking, doesn't fit in with the style guidelines for Windows Phone. But you, yeah, that's a good way to do it. For example, there's a, a detour button. So when you're driving along, you get stuck in traffic or there's an accident. You can have one button kind of given 
you an option to reroute it. Uh, and there's you know plenty of kind of what I'd refer to as power user features. And so Copilot is ideal for those that find that here drive is maybe a little bit limited and they've been used to using maybe an in-car sat-nav system that has more features. And so, you know, there are people out there who are going to you know, go ahead and buy it and they'll be willing to pay the extra sort of 18 quid to unlock this voice navigation. Uh, there's additional uh, purchases if you want to get more map coverage for other countries. Uh, but actually, you can use this app completely for free. There's kind of the for free option gives you uh, one country's worth of map data and then you can use all the route planning tools. You just don't get the uh, voice navigation. So in a way, it kind of can act as a, a replacement for the, the built-in maps app or for here maps. Uh, there are some pretty powerful points of information database in this, and it pulls them in from Wikipedia and Google as well. So I think a lot of people will find that attractive. But, you know, the, the thing is, you can try out both of these. There's a 14-day free trial of the voice navigation. But I was sort of actually pleasantly surprised by how much I was impressed by uh, Copilot. So I'm going to, you know, give this a, a run through its bases, use it when I'm doing some driving over the next few weeks and kind of report back on whether I think it's, you know, better or worse. I think, as I say, it will come down to, you know, whether you're willing to pay for those extra features. And I guess it's like, you know, music, you know, some people will just have the free version of Nokia Music and quite happy with the radio. Some will want Nokia Music Plus so they don't have to listen to apps, uh, to ads and can skip tracks. And some people will be paying for Spotify or a Zoom um, uh, or sorry, Xbox Unlimited Music Pass, you know, and it's sort of free, £3 a month, £10 a month. And it so depends on the type of user you are. But you're right to say it's not for everybody. This is kind of the power user version of SatNav on your Windows phone device. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to finish off um, this podcast. And there's loads of news stories on the site. Go and read it all about windowsphone.com. <laughs> but I wanted to plug one particular feature as I'm, you know, Rafe's trailed the fact that I'm a bit of a camera phone fan. And we, we mentioned still photos earlier and, and the various Nokias. Um, I did a feature, uh, you lent me very kindly, your HTC One, which is a an Android flagship um, smartphone, also with optical image stabilization. So we're just talking now about the video capture side of things. And I was, I've, I've done a, a comparison before, but I, that was kind of ad hoc. This was also kind of ad hoc, but I want to do it in more depth. And I put a feature up on the site last week called um, OIS Comparison and Notes, HTC One versus Lumia 920. And to be honest, I was expecting to the video capture by both devices to be pretty darn similar, even though the HTC One is newer. I was actually astonished, Rafe. The 920's optical image stabilization is far more comprehensive, and the optics are far better. And just putting, looking at the two uh, bits of footage side by side, the, the 920's is so much clearer. Now, obviously, you've got the 925 there with even slight, perhaps even slightly clearer video again, but certainly just... just this concept of optical image stabilization, just because a, a, a smartphone has OIS in its specs, does not mean it's going to perform at the same level. And certainly the 920 in my test was much, much better. That, that's absolutely right. And the reason for this is because the OIS has been implemented in very different ways. And it's just the same as you can say that uh, a phone has a camera with it, but it depends very much on the camera module and the software, just how good it is. Now, my understanding of this is that essentially the Nokia device is able to have a, a higher frequency when it's doing this um, sort of stabilization. And so it's able to be more responsive to movements. And as a result, you'll get this kind of smoother video. It's interesting. You'll notice this most in video. You'll kind of notice it less in still images because obviously the amount it needs to be stabilized for is less. But it's a, a good example of don't just look at the spec sheet. You need to understand what that means 
in, in terms of performance as well. And, you know, go and read this feature because it'll actually give you a really good demonstration of this in action. Um, and HTC kind of made quite a big play of their camera. And, you know, what they did in terms of the kind of the perfect pixel type stuff and just putting in a, a smaller megapixel cam, I think is to be applauded. Uh, but they still have a lot of work to do if they to get anywhere near kind of Nokia's level of imaging innovation. I th think it's fair to say they still have some way to go. I mean, Nokia and HTC are the two that are really pushing the boundaries here on imaging innovation. It does tend to be you get the other following. I think Samsung deserves a bit of credit for their kind of photo processing algorithms. They, you know, really perfected those, particularly, I think, on the Galaxy S4. We talked about this in a, a previous podcast, Steve. But uh, in terms of the actual hardware side of things, you know, Nokia and HTC are kind of do, doing great things and, and Samsung maybe a little more work is needed and I feel particularly that way this week having seen the uh, S4 Zoom come out. Yeah, yeah. So I do agree with the feature. So video capture is just as important to me as still capture and uh, I'm planning to do another follow-up feature in this slightly more methodical, shall we say, actually mounting the two devices on some sort of uh, framework rather than just waving them around with my hand. But um, it still gives you a flavour. And certainly the, the, the sheer difference between the two sides of the video, uh, it gives you cause for comments. So do please leave your comments on the site. Steve, perhaps we should, while we're talking about optical image stabilisation, address a quite a common question we've had, which is, whether that sort of technology could be combined with the, the PureView Stage 1, i.e. put OIS on one of those huge <laughs> megapixel sensors, is it perhaps worth explaining to people that um, some of the utility of OIS disappears as you mount up this PureView Stage 1 and have the big sensor? Well, obviously, if you want to effectively vibrate your camera on, a, on an active rig with, uh, responding to accelerometer and gyroscopic input, then the, 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 the lower the mass involved and the smaller the volume, then the easier a job you'll have. As the, the, the camera unit gets larger and heavier, this becomes harder and harder. And of course, then you have to, maybe you can't um, respond that's quite so fast to input. So you the, the degrade the possibility for OIS. And um, some leaks we've heard have mentioned that this uh, Nokia EOS might have OIS. I'm, I doubt that. I suspect they're using the same system as the Nokia 808. I forget OIS. Let's just produce the best darned image it's possible to create and move from there. But I'm prepared to be pleasantly surprised, I think. Well, I'm inclined to agree with you, Steve. I think uh, I'd be surprised to see OIS. And I think it's also worth pointing out that the actual physical size of the sensor um, on these PureView Stage 1 on the 808 is significantly bigger than anything else. And the ability to kind of let in light or capture light is significantly greater. And so some of the benefits of OIS, particularly for low light capture, really uh, go away. It still does apply to video, but I do wonder whether there's uh, potential to do some clever things in the software because, of course, because you've got such a big uh, sensor in there, the other thing we didn't really mention on, on this 808 camera is you can do loss of zoom in video as well, and that could also potentially be used to do some software-based uh, stabilisation yeah. We'll have to wait and see on that one. Um, so when people, you know, go, all oh, the ultimate Nokia camera would be both OIS <laughs> and this big 41 megapixel sensor. Well, maybe, but I'm not actually sure that that would bring as many benefits as you might think. And uh, yeah. I can think of some other things that might be more interesting to do around the optics, for example, and particularly on the software side. I mean, I think the 808 PureView only sort of began to sort of scrape the surface of what was possible by having that very big megapixel and that sensor count and then doing these pure view uh, pixels and i think i'll be interested to see i suspect and my bet would be that's where the innovation would be um, so watch this space we'll keep you fully informed of course
Yeah, I've just done the maths, actually. We mentioned there that the 808 and presumably this Nokia EOS running Windows Phone will have a the, the bigger unit. It's, it's The sensor is six times bigger in terms of surface area than the current sensors in the, in the HTC One, Lumia 920, um, and Galaxy S4. It's six times bigger. So that, that's the scale of the task if they're going to try and put OIS on. And that's why I, I have doubts. But, uh, but watch this space. I do apologize, gentle listeners, if this entire episode has been hijacked by Steve's camera phone centric <laughs> style again. We must get a certain Scotsman on and we can have a different focus and a different uh, style to the podcast, right? Yes, and we'll talk more about the Lumia 925 because I know a lot of people are interested in that. But uh, I'd like a, a little bit more time to use it before sort of coming up with any full assessment. But uh, I am prepared to say, uh, you know, I think this is Nokia's best all-round smartphone that they've ever produced. And there's caveats within all of that because it depends what you want. And if you're looking at the camera one, yes, that's still about the 808. Maybe that will be uh, knocked off its perch in, in due course. But it does feel like, you know, when Nokia first did their Windows Phone devices, there was a bit of a rush. The 920, you know, polished that right up. Windows Phone 8 was a you know, significant improvement. But there were still just a few things, niggles in the hardware and the design. The 925 goes a long way to solving it in terms of the slimness, but also on the software side, you know, bringing in things like, you know, this glance screen, but also some of the other bits and pieces, improved uh, camera software processing and there's actually various other little bits, you know, there's a return of flip to silence, for example, for incoming calls, all add up to give me this total impression that the 925, if you're looking for a Windows phone device, maybe with a caveat that if you're not looking for the best possible camera, this is this is the one to get. And obviously there is a price tag to match that. Um, I would probably continue to recommend people look at the 620 if they're looking for the kind of the best all-round value. I think that's a fantastic little device. Yeah. Uh, but the 920 is a very worthy entry in the flagship category, and I think it competes very well with the iPhone 5, the Galaxy S4, and the HTC One. Just that little bit better than the 920 managed, but I guess that's what happens when you're kind of six months on from that initial release period. Yeah, uh, and with that, I'm going to hang up my Windows phone. I'm going to put my 920 onto the pad. Oh, look, it's wireless charging, something you can't do with your 925, oh, right? thank you, Steve. Yeah, you're quite right. I have to get an annoying clip-on case. And personally, that really annoys me, simply because I've come so used to that, just being able to put it on a pad and start it charging. But I guess if that's the price I have to pay for having a thinner device, and no, I don't really understand why. The Nokia engineers and spokespeople said, oh, it's all about not having QIs charged. I'm sorry, that coil is only about a millimetre thick. You're not really telling me that that's the difference and there's actually about uh, 12 or so millimetres in it. So and that, that that's not right, right? Because it's not 12 millimetres, is it? Because that's the uh, thickness of the phone. But as I said, I don't think it's just down to that. I think uh, there's some shavings on the case itself. As I said, the polycarbonate's a bit thinner. Uh, but yep. I guess there's always going to be some niggle in there, Steve. And as we both start rambling and as the sun sets in the sky, I'm going to head out for some fresh air and I shall say goodbye, Ray. Thanks for being on. Uh, sounds like a great idea. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Be sure to check in next week. Bye for now.